0: Shaken, a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the United States of America. I'm your host, Tim, and joining me, as always, I have the pleasure of the company of Lavelle and Carlo. Good morning, gentlemen.
1: Morning, fellas.
0: Hey, guys. How's it going? So we're here. It's 8 o'clock in the morning, getting together for a holiday special Episode the uh... or
1: Festivus for those of us who celebrate. (laughs) Celebrate Festivus. Festivus is real. Festivus
0: is real too. (laughs) We, We we have a um. There's a Festivus poll that goes around different family members around here, and it gets more and more bedecked with junk every year. So we'll see what happens this year. <laughs> yes.
1: Festivus for the rest of us. That's
0: the idea. That's the idea. So we, we released our episode 19 just a few weeks ago. So I don't expect we'll have a ton of hobby progress for this episode. This will be the last episode of season 2, which is nice. So season 3 will kick off in January with some new music and some new segments and so on. Also, listeners, do forgive us. I'm going to try to release this episode in its unedited state. Before
1: we begin, let me say a number of people have uh, approached me and various uh, gaming stores that I visit, as well as various conventions. I'm sorry, not conventions, tournaments I'm participating in, commenting on how much they enjoyed the show. We appreciate all of our listeners and want to wish you the best and and tell you to communicate with us on Facebook or on our uh, Instagram and give us any feedback or anything you'd like to hear us discuss.
0: Um, so let's kick it off with hobby progress. Lavelle, what's what's up with your hobby in the last couple of weeks?
1: So I've got a couple of things. I, I completed my Dark Angels first company, you know, the Deathwing Army. I ran my first two games with it, and I was totally underwhelmed. Hmm. T- Terminators are not as great as I always thought they were.
0: Interesting. What what happened in those games? Just you know, not a full play-by-play, but...
1: Yeah, it, they just weren't resilient enough, and I expected more from a Terminator. I don't know why. Yeah, but I, they're yeah,
2: bad. Right? Did you bring the Paladins or... Uh, not the Paladins, the... Uh, where where are the guys with the maces?
1: I think they're called uh, knights. I can't remember. But I, I just bought regular Terminators all kitted out. And um, you know, it on paper it's a great army. But the the performance of and you know, I could be a little colored because I play with custodies. To me the Lavelle is Termin- used to real
2: resiliency. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. The new and better Terminators. <laughs> to me, a
1: Terminator should be somewhere between a custodies and a space marine. And to me, they just feel like a space marine plus, not even that much plus. So I I just didn't like it. I also finalized my second Necron Dynasty. Now I have two separate dynasties with complete color schemes and and model mixes. And I really, really like I played with both of them. We'll talk about that a little later. Um, I continue. And yes, I am saying this next part. I continue to flesh out my custodian army. My custodian army works one way. And I'm trying to mix it up so I can get it to work a couple of different ways. I put the finishing touches on my Imperial Knight Army, which is pretty good. Um, I'm really excited about that. Um, I still need to play Kill Team. I have absolutely everything I need to play Kill Team. I still need to play Titanicus. I have everything I need all ready to go to play that. The only thing I don't have for both of those games is, you know, everybody has a time palette that they put their games into I, right I don't I haven't perfected my yet I'm still I've been acquiring some custom terrain from my very good friend Dave Eber um, and Dave has been as a, as really as a hobby he's been building customized terrain and he, one piece at a time that you know and he wanted to sell them so because I'm the type of guy I am I bought them all. <laughs> But they're really, really good pieces. And right now I am prepping for the single most gaming, single most important gaming event of my year. The Page Kill Team Apocalypse game that we always begin January with, which is on the 13th of January. And I'm finalizing my uh, Apocalypse Army. 4,000 points.
0: What's in that list so
1: far, Lavelle? Um, I have two detachments, a uh, Custody super a custodi's battalion, and a super heavy knight detachment. So it, it'll give me a little bit more thinking time because it's fewer models. <clears throat> but more importantly, the other, you know, there are going to be warhounds on the table. they are going to be big people on the table, and people will be bringing huge pieces to go against the Imperial side, and I want us to be ready. That's it for my hobby progress for so far.
2: Carlo, what about you? Um. So I picked up the— Kill Team Commander Librarian. What's his name? Uh, the Space Wolf guy. So I'm going to try and – not for Kill Team, but I'm just going to try and incorporate him into my uh, into my army for – because I really in, like the Primaris models, so I want to get like at least a couple Primaris characters going. Um, so he'll be like a Room Priest. Uh, I've got the Noise Marine that at some point I'd like to build and paint. I just picked him up because he's so awesome. So, and I'm working on those two secret projects that nobody can know anything about until after the apocalypse.
0: How are you settling? How are you settling into your hobby space?
2: Uh, pretty good actually. I just picked up. Um, do you remember the chairs Lavelle was talking about a couple of months ago on the podcast? Oh yeah, the Staples that, ones. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I picked one of those up. How finally. is it? Ha- how so, is it to paint in? Is it good? It's really nice. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's at the proper height. So, and you can like adjust. You know, it's like an office chair where you can bring it up and down. You know, um. So it it fits perfectly in the space, and I can. The desk I built down there, you know, was kind of something I threw together very quickly, and it's it's a little odd oddly shaped. I don't know if you've seen it. So the chair, you know, being able to swivel and roll around kind of gets me to the different areas of the desk a little bit more easily. Um, um, other than that, I mean, I've been playing. I played in a doubles tournament. Uh, are we going to go into Games played. Yeah, let's yeah, we we'll
0: okay. roll into games played. Sure.
2: Okay, so I did get to play in a doubles tournament. It was a charity event that uh, the Basement War Gamers uh, uh, hosted in uh, Gamers Heaven a couple weeks ago. Um, it was Captain Pegnog's Hunt, I think it was called. So it was awesome. It was a holiday themed um, missions. So uh, the guy who ran it, Max, uh, like really uh, ran this like a very original mission packet. Uh, that he came up with and uh, the the gist of it was you had naughty and nice points oh so like and there were there were special stratagems in the packet you could use but you could also use your normal stratagems and if you used a stratagem for yourself it was one naughty point per cp and if you used a, a stratagem and you like gifted stuff to your opponent it was nice points
0: That's an interesting way to do it.
2: Yeah. So, uh, people won at the end of the day, you know, certain prizes for being the naughtiest or the nicest, and, uh, you know, how how well they did in the tournament, obviously. And then there was a raffle going on at the same time. So, uh, it was a really great event. Um, uh, Gamers Heaven was a fantastic venue. Cool. Um, I'd like to spend more time there um, as, like, my work's right around the corner from there. So, I'd try to stop in every now and then. But uh, I thought, so, like, the one thing, the one, takeaway that I thought was really funny was that uh, we played against Sam City and one of the the stratagems that you could use was called um, Grandma Got Run Over by a off. <laughs> so for like 2 CP, you could gift one of your opponent's models the ability to cast a psychic power that would ha- allow them to move twice with a warp charge of 6. So they put it on, I brought for that tournament, I brought Logan Grimnar on Stormrider Rider. Like, because the whole Santa thing, yeah, you know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> So he cast that on Logan. It was, like, the most appropriate use of that stratagem probably at that tournament. That's great. <laughs> was, that was a great game. So he was turning Can up I, the place. <laughs> let
1: me jump in here a little bit and talk about two things. The Basement Wargamers, that was the Captain Pegnox present hunt. Yeah. And it was held on the 15th. So right now... Almost all of my gaming is at one of three places. All, all of my miniature gaming, um, Red Caps, my primary store, Gamers Heaven in Phoenixville, which is actually physically closer to me. and alternate universe, and uh, I guess that's Plymouth Meeting, might be Norristown. Both all three of those spots are, are really really good spots. But um, the space in Gamers Heaven is new. They just moved down to a larger space, and and the people who run that. They are really, really good at creating an open and inclusive environment, which is really important to me. Just like at uh, Red Caps, the openness and the inclusiveness is not a byproduct. It's something that they make happen. It's really, really good space. And now that I know you work near there, bring an army to work one day, and you and I can meet there after work and have play a game.
2: That would be great. great. Uh, if you If you don't mind playing, I know they close at like 12, right? So we could totally get a game in.
1: Sometimes like, they uh, close at 2.
2: 2 in the morning? In the morning. Yeah, because I get out of work at around 7.30. It takes me about 15 minutes to get to Gamers Heaven. So we could probably start a game by 8.
1: You know, I got a, a guy um, that I play with at Gamers Heaven. And because he, he works all the way in Town, So him and I, it, we a lot of times he'll, he'll contact me and we'll start gaming. Um, Jordan's his name. We'll start gaming at 8.30. At night and have no problem getting the game in.
2: That's awesome. He's a 40K player? He is. Uh, Okay, cool. I got a friend named Jordan that lives right there, and he doesn't play 40K, so I'd be really upset if he was secretly playing 40K and didn't let me know that he was playing 40K.
1: (laughs) Jordan and I share a lot in common in that um, uh, he's got a lot of (laughs) – lots of
0: armies. So, <laughs> you know how that is. There's a, men- a menu, to- a menu to choose from.
2: <laughs>
0: <All> right. <laughs> nice. How was that tournament intended, Carlo? Were there a lot of folks there?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, every table was in use for the most part, um, and they've got a lot of space there. So that's, uh, you know, just to s- say how many people were there is probably about uh, 16 teams, I think, signed up. So 32 people. Um, yeah, it's really fun, and uh, like it was BYOB too. So One of the teams played Beer Hammer in the first round. So it's like anytime you like, they had like a 30 pack of cores or something. And anytime, like, both sides were drinking beer, and every beer they finished, they could put on the table and block off movement for an opponent's (laughs) model. So, (laughs) of course, that's great. (laughs) Other than that, I think it was was a great. That was one of the best tournaments I've played in a while. I mean, I think I have the most fun at the charity tournaments. I mean, that, Cans, um like the Nova stuff we do, um, all, all the charity kind of narrative tournaments I've really enjoyed the last couple of years.
0: Hobby progress for me. I did break down and bought um, Labyrinth of the Necrons from Barnes & Noble. They had a coupon or two flying around that were just too good to pass up. I also learned that... So have you guys seen those Space Marine Heroes... Boxes, those little boxes that are on the counter at most gaming stores right now. It's a single Space Marine model in this box. The forty K
2: booster packs.
0: I I guess, yeah, right, right. (laughs) Um, So, so originally it was released just in Japan, and then they released it here in the states and elsewhere. It's, I think, it's six or seven bucks for this model. So I thought that I didn't realize they were blind packed, meaning. Uh, You don't know what model's in the box. So every time, you know, I'd go to Red Caps or I'd go to the other gaming stores I go to and I'd see it on the counter and be like, oh, I already have that one. I already have that one. Because I'm expecting the packaging change when they release the next one. You know what I mean? I I wanted to get them because I think, you know, it's neat to have these little characters. I could put them in my my Space Marine Army. Uh, Turns out, you know, the packaging is all the same, but there's, I think, 11 different models or 10 different models you can find. And in um, Labyrinth of the Necron are five of those models. So I already have five. I bought one. Turns out it wasn't a double of what was in the box, so now I have six. So I'm working on my collection of Space Marine Heroes. I'm not sure exactly why, but uh, as Games Workshop tends to do, it gets under your skin with the need to collect all these damn things. So now every time I go to a game store, I'm like, oh, okay, I think I'll pick up one of those little random boxes and see what I get, which is it's kind of cool. It's a, It's a nice little package, and there's a character card in there with some meaningless stats on a card. I really don't know what the stats are for, but whatever. I'm looking forward to putting the, all those together over the, um, a bit of a winter break here, and uh, trying out Labyrinth of the Necron, which does look like a neat and quick uh, solo game, and uh, Lavelle and I, we, sh- we should get together uh, and play the whole campaign, which is all three decks of cards in the box, which seems like an interesting uh, not a super long adventure, but uh, it'll be fun to play through all three of those decks.
1: Yeah, It's, it's not long at all. I, I do like the game, and it and. and... It does. Even though it's a short, kind of simple game, it does give you a lot of choices and it makes you think about different things. I played it with uh, uh, with uh, my son and I played it with my brother separately, and each time they were really, really engaged. I like the game. Cool.
0: Um, I picked up Chapter Approved 2018. I picked up Vigilus Defiant, which is awesome. Got the Orc Codex finally. I have my uh, my mind around getting a uh, my Orc army up and to a good level. Uh, you know, sometime in the spring, I think, I decided I'm going to do the Blood Axe Clan, because I like the way they're described in the Codex of, like, they're kind of the outcast orcs, because they do, like, Imperial Guard-style drills and exercises sometimes. Uh, There's lots of commandos in a Blood Axe army. Um, A lot of elites, their stratagems are kind of sneaky. You can redeploy things. You can, uh, uh, it's almost infiltratory kind of stuff that they can do, which is nice. Um, So I'm going to do that. Going to get that going. Um, I picked up, more packs of the age of sigmar champions cards uh i got a couple of booster packs and a couple of the new onslaught packs which have additional cards in them that are new to the system um i have been playing a good bit of that through the app through you know the smartphone app and i've I've really been enjoying that i like to get some real games together with the cards but i have
2: been how do you how do you feel about like deck construction in that game 'Cause I haven't put it aside any time to like mess around with it too much, but I haven't playing on the app as well.
0: Yeah, it's it's actually really, really I think the deck construction part of that is really cool and as they're adding more cards, they're adding more variety and flavor to it for insurance for instance, now there's spells that are um, you know how each of your champions has a path. They have to follow those four things they have to do to get a blessing. So mm-hmm. so now some of the new champions have um realm specific spells they have to cast. So you want to build your deck with those spells in it. Um, it's getting, like, more specific and more detailed, I feel like, which is nice. Um, the, the only complaint I have about it is I find deck building in the app really cumbersome. Um, it's a lot of tap, like, hunting and pecking for the right symbol to tap on. It's not intuitive how to build a list in the app. I had a
2: hard time with that. It, it takes a little bit too long, I think. Um, the app's a little clunky, like... It's got log-on issues and stuff like that. There's definitely some issues that can refine on there. Um, for the base game, I think it works out really well. But yeah, like I haven't tried to venture too far in a deck building with it for the same reason. It is, just kinda... it, it
0: is cumbersome. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. the symbols are really tiny. And I have a, I think I have a 5.5 inch screen on my smartphone, and it's uh, it's still a little a little wonky, yeah. Um, I do like the card scanning mechanic for some reason. I really get a kick out of the fact that it identifies the front of the card and has this augmented reality thing that you can move your your phone around that it does this 3D flame thing coming up from the card, and there's something very satisfying Uh. about scanning cards into the app. It's pretty fun. (laughs) I was doing it last night after dinner, and Chrissy was like, what are you doing? I was like, no, this is important, really. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, really. Um, I also picked up, um, I got it on eBay, I picked up the uh, Mechanicus half of the Forge Bane box set. I had bought the rule book a couple of weeks ago because um, I'd like to get uh, those campaign games in versus Lavelle's Necron sometime soon. So those actually should be delivered today. So that'll give me the Armager Warglaves and uh, some more uh, Scatarii guys. Um, it's kind of, I think it's kind of weird that they don't let you build the Helverins with what's in that box you can only build the war and the, and I didn't realize this but the helverins are actually more expensive to buy in the store in a two pack
2: yeah i mean the but, helverins they came out after right
1: Warglaives. remember that so. was the first thing we had seen of a um of a um of the
2: armagers i guess you
1: yeah. the, yeah, the armagers that was the first one and it was tickling us about what was to come
0: yeah i think i'll sub out some other arm weapons i don't feel like spending another 15 bucks or 18 bucks on ebay to get just the uh,
2: the helverin you should put, like, two regular Titanic Knight paladin <laughs> battle <cannons>. like <laughs> Just, like, one on each side. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, 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 like an
0: anime-style overbuild. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> little little wheels on the bottom so they can
2: drag them on the terrain.
0: <laughs> That's a nice idea.
2: And <laughs> then do, like, this is what happens when you skip leg day jokes or something like that. <laughs> um, I started
0: reading the Vigilist book. I think it's really good. Uh, it's There's... As they have been doing, it's like two pages for every kind of chapter, if you will. So there's art and uh, an event happening every two pages, so you open it, read the event, then move on to the next. So far, so good. It does throw everybody into the mix there. We'll talk about uh, you know, the narrative twists and turns later on in the episode, but uh, but I am enjoying it, the artwork is good, and I, I think I like where the, the narrative is going. Um, I'm only like 30 pages into it, but I'll get through that over the break as well. Yeah, and as Lavelle mentioned, let's get into our uh, our games played. He and I got uh, two games in, in this past week, which is really nice. Two daytime games, which is which is amazing. We were there right as Red Caps opened on uh, uh, two days of last week, which is a nice treat. I, was,
2: I did make a double take when I saw the posts about yep. that. I was like, yep. wait, wait, I thought they played yesterday. Yep. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yep. <laughs> two games in a row. Yeah, we got in two games. <laughs> For 10 <Timbe>? days? <laughs> which is <was> great. Yep. <laughs> It was great. This This week I got I got into a good rhythm with my new um, self-employment schedule and was able to take advantage of some of that uh, newfound lunchtime freedom, which was great. So we played two games out of the new chapter approved. Uh, the first game we wound up just playing in on the Eternal War side of things because, uh, uh, Lavelle, you didn't have objective cards, correct? That was the reason?
1: Correct. I left my entire support bag at home. That's right.
0: That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we wound up rolling on the... Uh, the Eternal War missions table for both of our games, just to kind of work our way through the new Eternal War missions. Um, the first one we played was Cut Off the Head, um, where you have, at the at deployment, you have three in- intel points. You have to assign as evenly as possible between different characters in your army. And you get points for killing your uh, opponent's uh, intel guys, your, your imp- opponent's smart guys. And you get points for putting them on the objective in the middle of the table as the transmission point, too.
1: Wait, Tim. The way it works is after, I think, the second turn, you get points for every one of your uh, characters that have an intel point that are still on the table.
0: Right, right. Sorry, so, yep, yep the reverse right. right. Sure, sure.
1: Um, And you get points for controlling that objective, which I – no, you didn't have to control. I think you did have to control it with the character. I got to – i got to check that out, but go ahead.
0: Yeah, yeah. The um, uh, I'm reading uh, Transmit Intel. Starting from the second battle round, you score one victory point if you control the objective marker at the beginning of the table. A player controls the objective marker if they have more characters that have had intel points allocated to them. So yes, you do get points for your characters with intel points at the objective marker in the middle of the table. Um, I thought it was a really fun... It was a fun mission. Um, we had set up uh, Hammer and Anvil. Uh, we had used you know kind of imperial sector terrain in the table had one big line of sight blocker in the middle um it was a fun game i brought a mix of iron hands and uh mech as i am wont to do uh, that game i had a bunch of heavy support on the iron Hands side which i wound up not really needing it didn't really do very much and uh lavelle wound up winning um i think turn four or turn five we called it because we were kind of running out of time i think lavelle does that sound right
1: Right. But, you know, I think at that point what had happened, I had killed your last character with uh, intel points. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. That
0: makes sense. But l- let's talk
1: about a couple of things. Um, let's talk about antimatter meteors, Lavelle. The beauty of them and the wisdom and power of the Necrons and how they get that I'm confused.
0: I need to buy the Necron, the Necron Codex just to read No, this you don't. That's what it said. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you can do that at the beginning of every turn is pretty, so, pretty amazing. Let
1: me— let me just talk about a couple of things. So in both of these games... And let's talk Tim, about
0: quantum shielding while we're at it.
1: Yes, the beauty of quantum shielding. Is that what you want to move over? <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Um, a couple of things. In both of these games, I built armies that worked the way that I expected them to work, which was really, really good. And I explored a couple of different dynasties. Um, in this particular game, the terrain was set up. Tim got to pick the deployment zone... And the deployment, his deployment zone, and the deployment type, but I chose the dynasty, the Nefrek dynasty, that automatically advances uh, six inches, and it can go through terrain and other models when they advance. And it allowed me to kind of camp my guys behind this huge terrain piece, and then on the next turn, just move through
0: it. That was clutch. Was, yeah, going through terrain was amazing in that game. That worked out really well for you. So that I mean, it, it worked
1: really, really well. And it was a good game. One of the things though um, that I had previously seen but not read the chapter approved. The thing that makes chap this, some of the rules, the deployment rules are really different now. So you deploy your entire army and then you, your opponent does the same and you get to choose who goes first and everything. It's a, it's a game changer in terms of the way you think about the various pieces. So it kind of mitigates going first a little bit.
0: You, would you agree with that Tim? I think so yeah the I wanted to talk about why you guys thought that all of the missions in this book and I have it here in front of me, I'm looking through all the eternal war missions and they are set up your entire army. Um, why do you think that is? Do you think they were getting feedback that alternating deployment was not the way to go moving forward? I,
1: I think it's all based on going first. And so if you choose to go first, if, if one player go, is going first, you know, they can be shot off the table. But since you are deploying fonts to the player who goes first, you get to put your things in cover and do various things like that. That's what I think the thinking was.
0: Interesting. I noticed in the Orc Codex, too, that there's a stratagem for the Orcs where they can redeploy, I think, up to D3 units after deployment, but before the game begins, which might also be a response to that Setting up the entire army one side at a time and then moving things around.
1: Yeah, I I think that deployment or having more control over the deployment, I'm trying to put this in the right word, having control over deployments given where you expect to go gives you more or it minimizes the go first advantage. I, I, I never liked the fact that going first can be so decisive.
0: It was a good game. The, uh, I did like the Intel points piece of it.
1: Tim, let me let me come back to something else you said. Sure, yeah. So the thing about uh, he, you talked about the antimatter meteor. Those are all the p- different powers of the satan. They don't occur in the psychic phase. They are not psychic powers, and therefore you can't deny the witch on them. They actually happen at the end of the movement phase, and you know it's almost like having the the satan can have. Uh, a, a number of powers. They're the only thing equivalent to that that they have on the board. I chose the Transcendence Satan Time because he just got a huge point drop and he gets to use two powers. They're pretty powerful in their ability to um, kind of damage things. Tim, you had minimal units on the table, which was really, really good because that power, the anti meteor, allows me to roll a number. And if I roll under the number of units in your army and that unit they take uh, so many mortal, with D3 mortal wounds, I think. And so it was really, really good. And I use it as a kind of a horde killer. So it, it was really, really good. And quantum shielding is the single most powerful vehicle defense that I've seen in just about any of the games. Because everybody that has a, uh, um, they're using last cannons to, to go through weapons. And actually using a last cannon against a Necron vehicle with quantum shielding and doing The maximum six damage is really not good for you, as Tim discovered.
2: I did discover. What does quantum shielding do again?
1: When you take a wound, uh, when I take a hit, you roll to wound. Uh, Okay, you hit me. You roll to wound. I roll my save, and I fail my save. Now you roll damage. After after damage is determined, I roll a d6. And if I roll under the damage that you did, I can ignore the damage. So if you do d6 and you... You you know you're doing d6 damage with your last cannon. You roll your d6 or your two d6. You take the highest with the melter and you roll a five or a six. All I have to roll is a four or less, and I ignore it completely. There is actually wait, you ignore act- it
2: completely? Sh- completely. Are you kidding me?
1: So yeah, when we get our game, in. so
0: I'm shooting. So so I'm shooting at those. Th- I'm shooting at your vehicles with my neutron laser from two Onager Dunecrawlers, and I was you know first turn I was like, this is great. I rolled six damage. And then Lavelle rolls like a like a four and that damage just disappears in a, a puff of ether. <laughs> like it just doesn't happen.
2: Well described. Not that I don't trust Lavelle, but he has a track record of misinterpreting the rules. So you invent your own codex once,
0: and it stays <laughs> with you. I read it myself. I read it myself. It is it is not good. But but you know, the, so the so the secret there, and and I'll, I'll spill it here, so people can can pound on these uh necron vehicles. Um, if you just plink away with one damage weapons, if you have a lot of well, like one damage shots, you can throw at one of his vehicles, then. You have a way in because you're you're not doing multi damage, uh, not multi damage wounds, you know. So, but it it really negated it. it Negated the value for uh, of of me shooting at it with the big stuff like las cannons, like uh, the neutron laser, and all that stuff.
1: There's a stratagem that I can play that allows me to ignore the damage if I match, if I if it's match or less.
2: So. What we need is like a bunch of plasma, basically. Yes. Yeah. I I did better. I did. That's that's exactly
0: right, Carlo. I did better my second game, having known that uh, I had my uh, plasma cataphrons rolling around, and they did better against his vehicles in the second game we had. So the the second game we played was Beachhead, which was a which was a good one. So there's we did Hammer and Anvil again. So there's an objective marker in the middle of the table, uh, one in my deployment zone, one in Lavelle's. And the one in your own deployment zone is worth one point, the one in the middle of the table is worth two points, and the one in your opponent's uh, uh, deployment zone is worth three points. Um, so you basically just want to come as far ahead as possible and hold as many objectives as possible. I think that worked out really well with playing Hammer and Anvil, too, because it gave us a good distance to travel. Um, and I had switched up the Iron Hand side of my army in this case, and I tried out uh, Primaris Aggressors and some Terminators and a Captain and Terminator armor and a bunch of Tactical Marines... Um, so I put uh, I put the uh, captain and the terminators in the uh, teleportarium, and they came in uh, turn two. Uh, tried to take an objective that Lavelle had two pylons I think at that point sitting on because I'd killed a pylon first turn. Um, but again, the uh, the forces of the Necron rallied. And, uh, and did take the win. And that one, I think, was, was quicker. That, that, that game only took us like two hours, which was nice.
1: Tim, let me jump in and say that army, what I did, which I'm always fearful of doing, it was, it was just a spearhead. So it was all heavy, well, you know, mostly heavy. And um, I got to put my sentry pylons on the table, my doomsday art. And they, I chose the dynasty, the SalTech dynasty, which allows me to move and shoot without the penalty of heavy weapons.
0: Yeah, that was a that, that was a really good list. There were not a lot of models on the Necron side, and you only had four command points that game, which was a risk. But uh, but it paid off.
1: In that particular game, Tim got to understand up close and personal the
0: beauty of the destroyers. The destroyers were vicious. Oh my goodness! They 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 crushed the aggressors like turn two, and did a really good amount of damage to the Terminators turn three too. It was a they those they, those shot. They have a lot of shots. They're very powerful. I, d- if I did. If you not, put uh, my
1: will be done on them, which gives them plus one to hit. That means they're hitting on twos and re-rolling
0: ones. I underestimated them as the big threat on the table. It turns out they were the big threat on the table. I was really worried about the flyers and worried about those pylons, but it was really those destroyers who did most damage. I feel
2: like flyers in this edition, like it's almost like you want to mop up everything else on the board first before you even consider shooting at them because that that minus one to hit is hard to deal with Mm. on a lot of them.
1: Well, in my in my case, my flyers have a heavy weapon that does um D three shots or D six shots one or the other. And it's a heavy weapon, but Salttech is ignoring that and that, that weapon does it's it's pretty impressive. And then they have eight shots at strength seven, but the eight shots are Tesla, which are gonna explode on sixes and they do they do pretty good.
0: Yeah, that was uh, that, that was another another good game this past week. It was nice to be able to dive right into uh, some of the new um chapter approved stuff. It's Really just a couple days after the book was released. Point point values did seem to drop across everything. Uh, we had as I was putting the new list together in um Battlescribe there was a I had a lot of models on the table for 1500 points.
1: Let me let me ask a question if you can remember, Tim. So, you you had your army and you built a 1,500-point army. Both of us, we played 1,500 points. What, how, if you can go back and compare pre-chapter approved, how many more points do you think you got? You know
0: my question? Yeah, maybe 50 points. 50 points? Maybe, yeah. I, I, should, I should compare and contrast to some old lists, but I think it was probably 50 to 60 points.
1: And that list that I played you, yeah. I got 200 points back.
0: Yeah, that's crazy.
1: 200 points. And maybe it was the way I have always been building my list. But now I, I am getting, you know, not a couple of models. I'm getting more units, actual units on the table.
0: It's cool. It was, it was really fun. It was good to just dive right in and see what the new stuff was going to do. Um, I would definitely play th- those missions again. I did like those missions a lot. And I look forward to trying the Maelstrom stuff, too, because that does sound, uh, they sound really good as well.
1: Let, let me just also say about chapter-approved. You know, the two th- I really like Chapter Approved conceptually. I like the way it comes out and it can change the game. And it almost breathes, it, it makes you play the game differently. And I really, really like the missions in there. I've read through all of the missions and all of them were like, yeah, I'd like to play that. I'd like to play that. It was really good. Yeah,
0: I like the. Um, I, I read the Cities of Death section that's in here, which is more of the narrative, kind of open play side of things, but they do have some. There's some really good missions in here for Cities of Death. Uh, some special rules about height advantage. Uh, there's some stratagems that are specific to Cities of Death. Uh, I'd like to try some of this other stuff that's in here, not just the match play stuff. I always say that, but this time I really want to do it. I'm looking at the, the deployment maps for Cities of Death and. You know, the, some of these we've seen before in other cities of death variations, but these are some of these are really good.
1: If you're playing forty k and you're just grinding through all of the missions, even even the Maelstrom missions, and you're just grinding through them over and over again, you're missing. Um, some real good diversity in terms of the way that you can play and the way you will think. So I recommend, you know, I, I recommend trying out the new missions and the new, the new uh, atmospheric things and terrain things that you can do to adjust your game. It's worth it.
0: So let's dive into one topic that I was going to save for later on, but let's dive into it now because it's on my mind as I'm looking at Chapter Approved here at my desk. There is not a single photograph of a traditional Space Marine. In this book, everything in here is Primaris.
2: I I'm going to say something controversial. And
0: in Vigilus, let me finish this, Aldovil. Sorry. Okay. In Vigilus, okay. we learn that uh, Marnius Calgar was transformed from his prior self to a Primaris Space Marine. And in the Vigilus book, there is not a single photograph of any traditional Space Marines. In the new, um, what do you call it? The new White Dwarf. There is not a single. Traditional Space Marine. What is going on with Space Marines in Eighth Edition at the Chapter Approved 2018 level? I'm wrong. No, I see. I see one. Squ- no,pe. Is that a Space Marine? I do see Drop Pods, but and there are some Speeders in this photograph, but I don't see any Space Marines. Are Space Marines dead, guys? Are we done with Space Marines?
2: Yes. Time to move on. <laughs> You know, I think over time they will end up being replaced because, um, strictly from a business perspective, like GW needs to roll new stuff out to replace the old stuff. Otherwise, people just hang on and reuse their models over and over again. You know what I mean? And it doesn't really encourage people to to buy more. So, where like with like TCGs and stuff like that, they come out with new sets, and every new set they print new cards and you know you buy the new cards where like with Warhammer they're printing rule books so you're buying the rule books but your models stay the same so they kind of need to I think the Primaris are kind of like one of those moves to get people to kind of you know like start replacing some of the older stuff in their army so can I tell you in terms
1: of gameplay one of the challenges with uh, the game is the d6. There's not a lot of space on a D6, and you got a one to a six. It's not the same as, if you will, a D10 or a D20, and they have to do something to make the Space Marines better, because so many other units are just as good, if as not if not better than Space Marines. And I think the Primaris is a way for them to do that and, and encourage and, and upgrade the Space Marines, if you will. I don't know why they took this particular approach rather than just redoing the um, Space Marines to be like Primaris in terms of how they interact in the game. But that's what I think the issue is with the Space Marines. Space Marines just aren't really
0: better like they should be. With that in mind, I did pack a bag yesterday for this holiday break that I have coming up um, of stuff to build. I'm not going to paint anything over the next
2: four or five days. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to be like, I packed a bag because I'm leaving Because I'm, <laughs> I'm, <forever>. I'm done.
0: <laughs> I'm done with it now. Um, but I, I am, I have decided to, I, I opened up the Dark Imperium box that I had never opened, and uh, I'm going to build the the Primaris Marines for my Iron Hands guys, um, and I think as I was shopping at Acme yesterday, I was thinking, as one does while one is doing other things not 40k related, I can just use my tactical. I can just you know I'll strip the paint off of my tactical squads and turn them into Emperor's children for my uh, my 30k army which would be kind there of nice. I'll just use them in 30 K and I'll just change They're everything. It's so nicely though. Like, are you sure you want to do that? I could just start an iron hands 30 K army too. That's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Just do that. And that's then, true. Uh, yeah. That's true. Um, but buy I, some but cool I, I bought, pieces. um, I put it, I put a bunch of stuff in a bag. So the next couple of days I'm going to try to build the primary stuff from that box. The, uh, hopefully the, uh, armagers, uh, will show up today so I can build them. And, uh, I have the, uh, the the darker side of the blackstone fortress box to build i had built all the explorers but i'm going to build all the uh the chaos space marines and the uh, chaos cultists etc from uh, blackstone fortress because i'm really still stoked to get into that game too awesome we will take a short break and we will come back with welcome scouts stay tuned Welcome back, Section 2. Welcome, Scouts. Guys, we haven't done one of these in a few episodes, so I wanted to circle back to it, because I do like it, I do think it's important. Um, This section talks about stuff that would be helpful to know for people new to uh, playing Warhammer 40,000 or other tabletop games sometimes. Um, In this section, I want to talk about a couple of things. Uh, Choosing your first army. There's a couple of points of entry to picking your first force. You have uh, the models. You see a model in a box, you think a model's cool, so you just go with that. You have the codex, uh, which gives you kind of, you know, obviously, what what does that army do? And uh, there's the Black Library novels, if you're more interested in the more narrative side of picking an army. In other words, the stories behind the army, where they come from, how they interact with other things in the Imperium, etc. Um... And do you guys remember what your first point of entry was when you got interested in 40K in the first place? What was the thing that that got you to, to play?
1: Now, I want to go first here. I
0: had been I, – I was much older,
1: and I had been all around, and I went to – um but I never played 40K. I never played 40K as a youth all those years ago with the dinosaurs. No, I never played 40K as a youth. I decided to get into more miniature play. At, the, at one time, I was playing different miniature games, and I had gone to a play, store that's not it's not the same anymore, between books in Delaware. And he had a 3rd codex. And I asked him, what is being least played? Because I didn't want to play something that everybody else was playing. And he said, well, the Necrons are really, really new as a full army. I got that codex, and that's where I started. It was... I just made the decision that I wanted to play with an army that was least played. And so I figured I'd be learning it with everybody else. And thus began my slow descent into Necron.
0: But but at that point, you didn't really, you weren't super familiar with the story, and you didn't really care what the models looked like necessarily. You just wanted to play the thing that nobody else was playing,
1: right? That's correct. That's I, cool. I wasn't familiar with the story or anything, or I I knew a bunch of people. I'd been to the War Forty K store, but I was like, "What the heck is this?" I think at this point, I had played Space at the board game.
2: I was at a game store. I had like stopped in. It had been a while since I had played Magic, and I just wanted I went in. I was working a new job, and I went in. I bought a booster box just for the fun of it because I used to love cracking open booster packs. And um, there were some guys playing 40k, and one of them had a Necron army, um, and I thought that looked super cool, and I wanted to get into it. And uh, I took you know I kind of took everybody's recommendations, and everybody was recommending me to play Space Marines and get um the one of the campaign boxes. So I ended up buying assault on Blackreach. You know the starter box. So I ended up with uh Space Marines and Orcs. And I painted my um Space Marines. I wanted to do I knew I wanted to do space wolves because I thought they looked I looked I think I remember looking on the the select looking at the selection of codexes and picking Space Wolves. And um, I painted my first squad up actually red because I wanted to do, like, Blood Wolves. And then somebody at the store was like, no, you can't do that. Space Wolves have to be blue. And I was like, oh, that sucks. And I painted, like, a bunch of my Space Wolves and then realized that wasn't the case. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm I'm happy with my color scheme, though. I think it, it works. But, um, you know, uh, I think, like, to answer your question... Like, would you pick based off a model codex or a novel? I would say, you know, it's different for every person. And I think just getting into the hobby, you're never going to be confident in your decision. You just kind of have to pick one thing, whatever route you go in, whatever, like, catalyst you use to pick your army. Um, I think you kind of just have to pick one and play with it for a while. And if it, you know, if you're not feeling it, you just kind of switch it up and pick another but I think most of the time, I think it's hard to really make an, an educated decision on what army to buy, because like Lavelle said, says, a lot of the time, you know, he'll put together a list on paper, and it doesn't play like that on the table at all, you know. So I think you could do a bunch of research, and you can, you know, I think maybe like novel, I would say, would be the best, because you know, you're always going to be thematically engaged with your army at that point, like whatever you. You know what I mean? But I think if Right.
1: Let, let me give you two exceptions. So, if you can find a good local gaming group, sometimes you can have the opportunity to play an army before you buy it. An example is Jonathan, he's a Drexel student. So, Jonathan came to the store and he indicated that he wanted to play um, Necrons, he was interested in it. And I told him, "Don't buy anything." And I lent him a two thousand point army and let him get his legs underneath him. And he said, "Yeah, I do like it. Um, at gamers, at uh, the war uh, basement, war gamers, it's possible for you to go there and and actually borrow an army and play an army and get a feel for it. So if you can find a good gaming group, you can save yourself some time, and you're not going to save yourself any money." <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to happen. So I'm not going to lie about that. So, but you can save yourself a little time by trying different armies, as well as observing a couple of games. That can be good too. A, a lot of the a lot of the shortcut I don't want to say shortcuts. A lot of it can be mitigated by finding a really good gaming group, a group of people who play regularly, who are open and inviting to, to getting you into the hobby.
0: So, yeah, let's let's transition into the second part of this question, which is talk, talking about uh, showing up at a local gaming store to play that first game. So, Lavelle, you brought up a good point. Showing up, just then, Carlo, you too, just showing up, expressing interest in it, and, you know, if there's armies there to borrow, fantastic. If not, at least watching a game go down first, finding out who's playing, when people play, what are the typical point values, what kinds of, of games are people playing... Um, But let's talk a little bit about what that first foray into playing at a local gaming store could be like, because that is really a make or break point for getting into this uh, addiction, I mean, hobby. Um, (laughs) Because if that first touch is, is not as good as it should be, then that store is losing a community member right off the bat. Right, because it it can really go either way when you walk into a a new store, which is an intimidating environment for you know it is an intimidating environment, Um, because there are people there who've been playing for years, and if you're showing up you know uh, new to the to the thing, it's 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 a bit much. Um, So so what are some things that a new player can do to make sure that that first experience is going to be a good one, and conversely, what are some things that people who play there regularly, community members, can do to make sure that uh, new players are welcome into the community?
1: So one of the things that I want to say is try to arrange that game in advance. Um, If you, You can show up with your army, but if possible, try to arrange so that the person is meeting to play you and they understand that they're playing a new player. Because if you arrange that, that means that person can bring not the the overwhelming crushing death guard army. <laughs> you all know how that is. I'm playing Magnus and Mark Motarian. So bring it, bring it, try to arrange that game. So the person knows that they're playing um, a newer player and they have allocated the, the time that you need with a newer player.
2: I think um, an important thing also is if you're teaching a new player, how to play, um, you need to a, and I think a lot of people will agree is keep the point value low, you know? So I know like 500 points, is a great starting off point for a lot of people. I've had a lot of success teaching new players at that level, and then B, you know, trying new. I know a lot of us are um, inherently competitive, and we kind of need to strip some of that down when we right. when we go to teach a new player. Don't so, and you you want to give people a uh, you know a realistic look of how the game is played and how how much strategy is involved, but you also want to make it fun for them. So I think it's really important to kind of, you know, take you know take some of the rules out. So, you know, get rid of stratagems. You don't want to do that. Maybe stick. you could do, like, a re-roll, like, one if you want on your teaching game. Um, and start with, like, three CP on each side or something. But, uh, you know, eliminate the need for them to build their army, obviously. You know, you want to, like, if you have... Multiple armies, you can create two lists for them that you think would be equally matched. Um, I would even like more heavily favor the person you're teaching because it's not fun to, you know, when you're learning a game to just get like ground to the dirt, right? And then make sure you pick, um, if you're going to play a mission, make sure it's something really simple or like really, really fun, you know? So.
1: You, you know, Tim, you, you put out that issue of, you know, starting at 1,000 points on a 4 by 4 table. That, that's a great place to start. You know, here's my issue with 500 points. A lot of people do the 500 points a lot. But depending on your army, you might not have a lot of choices to make. Um, I do believe for your first game, you, for the, 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 the newbie, limit their choices in a turn. Because, you know, a lot of it is what the choices you make, et cetera, et cetera, limit their choices. Um, But also, so you want to limit the real estate you're playing on as well. I I don't I never recommend you playing shooting in the desert. I mean, unless you're against me, then, yes, let's shoot in the desert. (laughs) 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 Then what, What you want is enough terrain so you can explain some cover rules and you can make the movement interesting.
0: So let's talk about it from the new player side, too. Uh, things that a new player can do to, sh- to make sure that when they show up for that game, prearranged or not, and I, I do think, Lavelle, you're right, it should be a prearranged game at a smaller point level. Um, some things that a new player can do to make sure that that first experience at the local game store is a good one. Um, I have some notes here regarding maybe making uh, index cards for each unit in your army. Or a spreadsheet of all the stat lines, just so that you don't feel like you have to hustle through your codex to find rules, or to find point, or to find stat lines. You know, um, I found, and I, I did the same thing when I when I was learning to play golf. I tried to play as quickly as possible because I didn't want to slow anyone else down. You know what I mean? And I think mm-hmm. if if I had made index cards, or if I had made myself a really a much better spreadsheet. I would have played smarter my first couple of games because I wasn't feeling like I needed to flip through to find this and find that. And I was flagging pages, of course, in the codex to try to make it a little quicker. But I think if I had made myself some index cards or one sheet for each unit, you know, to kind of make it easier for me to know who was what and who could do what, etc., I would have had a better time of those first couple of games.
2: I agree. Like, it's... I mean, that's definitely a great point. You need some sort of cheat sheet. Um, Because that's the hardest thing... Like to try and remember all your unit stats, and then also learn the rules of the game at the same time. It's like a it's a, it becomes a mess. So to to quickly, you know, what's your what's your weapon skill? Oh, it's a three up. You know, that makes a big difference in facilitating the quickness of the game and. Yeah, you know, allowing for more uh, interesting moments and fun moments. For yeah.
0: sure, I think I think one of the things that I like best when, one of the things I like best about a good game is the flow of it. Right when everybody's relatively familiar with the rules and familiar with their what their army can do, and there's not not that there there, there should be no looking up of anything, but when you're playing against somebody who really knows their stuff and you kind of have a good familiarity with your stat lines, the flow of dice rolling can be really awesome, you know, and the closer I think a new player can get to that experience of knowing the stats and not feeling like they have to hustle through paper to find out what the next role should be, it'll make that that first game, or those, that first series of games uh, all the more uh, fun and enjoyable and therefore, you know, the, encourage them to keep playing and keep improving because they see the opportunity for improvement, you know, they see how much fun a smooth, quick game can be, you know. Yeah, I
2: was debating on um, at some point, like, like if I were to teach somebody how to play again, kind of like creating like a, a beginner Space Marines list of 500 points and then painting on like the stat line on the rim of the base. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice thought. Yeah, it's a real nice
1: thought. Tim, I like your idea of cards because one of the things about cards, um, it can be cumbersome, I know, but it can make sure that you've activated every unit. And you can kind of flip through it and, and, and look at things in a broader sense.
0: I, I like the card factor in other miniatures games a lot. You know, Dark Age, um, uh, Arena Rex, etc. The Ethereum. The Ethereum is like that. Uh, the little Relic Blade that I just uh, just painted—they uh, have cards from even Kill Team. Kill Team has cards. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I yeah. think that's I think that's really nice. And it, yeah, granted, you know, like they take up more space on the table, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it is a nice uh, a nice aid.
1: One of the things uh, we need to add into our welcome scout section is to make sure that two things occur. Newer players, they should connect with the community that they're gaming with or they're going to be gaming with to learn about how they play, any particular rules, any house rules. But people who are already playing, we can get into a rut. We can begin playing the players that we already know, especially if we have a large community. Figure out where you are in that continuum. If you're a seasoned player, you need to do what you can to invite people. Share this episode so people can understand what it means to come to your community, learn how to play. You've got to have an on-ramp for your community, your, your gaming group. You have to have an on-ramp so that you're inviting new players in and helping them learn and explore the game. I have a particular desire to teach younger people about the game and help them understand everything that needs to get into the game. Share the episode, let people understand what it's like to play, not just the rules in the universe, but the whole environment of playing. I think that's really,
0: really important. All of our gaming experience is only as strong as the community that's playing it. Right? Absolutely. So, so Everything that we can do to help build that community. You don't have to like everybody in your community, but the more players in your community, the better.
1: That's right. You know, something that I wanted to add when you're playing the game, whether you're learning it or a season... Player is just whole segment? What went wrong? <laughs> you know, I like the title, <laughs> right? You know, I am an expert at sitting in my car with my miniatures, my engine running, and asking myself this question right here.
2: What I'm imagining, Lavelle, like holding up a like a Necron Overlord and like talking to talking it, talking to like, it
0: in the car. Yeah. What have I done <laughs> to upset you <laughs> and the
2: dice? <laughs>
1: So here's a couple of things. You go, you build your list, you go out and you, you start the process. And then you, you look at everything and you've lost terribly. You started the game when you were leaving the car, pumped and victorious. And you came back and you're asking yourself this question, what went wrong? There are four things that I, I encourage people to evaluate, whether you're a new player or a seasoned player. One, wasn't the dice rolls. You cannot control your dice rolls. It's random. We can argue about the probabilities associated with any dice, but it's random. If the dice rolls didn't go your way, you know, you didn't make the proper uh, genuflection to your dice, the proper (laughs) sacrifice before going to the game. It just didn't go your way. That's not a problem. The dice just didn't go your way. Move on. The second, your list or your army build. You know, the army you chose, the list that you build, even though you don't necessarily know what you're playing, if you do know what you're playing, shame on you. <laughs> but if you don't know what you're playing, so when you build the list, think about that. Is this an all comers list? Can it, it does it have the versatility that I need to be successful in this scenario? That part of the game takes away the the, the process of building this totally overwhelming list that can crush other people in certain situations. Because now with the new rules that allows you to still win, even if you get tabled, if you play the scenario, if you play the scenario, you will not, You will, let me not say you won't lose, but you'll have a better chance. There's a a, a video, a YouTube channel by and there is Eve, Queen of the Necron. And one day she was explaining things about her victory and, and what she did. And she, one of the things she always says is, people want to go out and shoot up the other guy off the table. Play the scenario. Read the scenario. Understand the victory conditions. That's the most critical part. So if your list and army build is versatile enough, you know, you can and in- you can increase your chances of winning. The third piece, and this is the single most important piece the decisions you make during the game. That's really at the heart of this hobby. Um, People talk about the painting. All of that's really important. But when you're on the table playing, how are you making decisions? How are you waging what you can do versus what your opponent can take? That's very, very important. So the three things that you need to always think about when when you lost a game is, was it just a dice roll? Did I have a bad army? Did I make poor decisions? Accept any one of those things. But the single most important thing, this is the key question. Did I have fun? War gaming has at its core not war, but game. We're there to have fun and enjoy ourselves and engage our minds and 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 our social aspects and playing the game. Did I have fun? I have games where I was shot completely off the table, where I had my last unit doing a Hail Mary for an objective, and it get blown out of the water, but I still had fun. That last question is the most important one. Did I have fun? And you know what I always always ask myself? Did my opponent have fun? I've been in games, um, really big games, where it was clear to me that my opponent wasn't having fun, and I paused the game. Okay, what can we do to change this? Yeah, because did I have fun? Did my opponent have fun? Those are critical questions for me. So when you sit down, when you're thinking about joining the game, when you're thinking about playing, kind of process those those type of things to help you have an enjoyable experience and take a little responsibility and contributing to your opponent's enjoyable experience.
0: All great points. Yeah, I really like those first three things to keep in mind about what can go wrong and maybe talk about why you lost in a more positive, more constructive way as opposed to getting frustrated by it. But looking at the dice rolls, you know, like you said, looking at the dice rolls, looking at your list, and then looking at how you played that list or you know, important points to grow on and move past in some cases too. We will take a uh, short break. We'll be back. Stick with us. Section four The Chosen We haven't done this section in a while either, and I did like this section a lot from the earlier parts of seasons one and two. This let's let's view the chosen in this episode, which is kind of our year wrap up of season two. Favorite things about forty K in twenty eighteen. So this is not just our favorite thing that we've encountered in the last month or since we've recorded the last episode. But let's look back at the whole year and kind of look at one thing that really stands out as being super positive or super interesting or super good for the um, for the hobby or for your own gaming experience. Uh, Carlo, why don't we start with you? What was your chosen for 2018?
2: I like how GW came back and made the combat roster work. I mean... Wait, did that No, it didn't happen. <laughs> that was an alter, alternate universe. Alternate yeah, yeah, universe yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, wait, no, no. My favorite thing about 40K in 2018 was just how much it's exploded and how popular it's gotten um, and how much um, GW has put into the game as a company and made it more of like a labor of love this year than ever. Yeah. Um, They've been very active in the tournament circuit. Um, they've been doing a ton of those how-to-paint videos of, of all the different miniatures. Um, so I'd have to say like GW's uh, engagement in the, in the hobby uh, world and in the, in the tournament circuit this year.
1: That's a great one. Yeah, good call. How about you, Lavelle? I, I have to say, hands down, speed of play. I found that this, this year the speed of play has increased... And as a result, I've been able to, you know, play more games without ending the game with uh, play fatigue. Hands down, it's been speed of play.
2: Yeah, agreed. Definitely.
0: That's a really good one, yeah.
1: What about you, Tim?
0: You know, I had thought about, you know, GW's community engagement has been really positive. The the evolution of 8th edition, I think, has been really positive. But I think my favorite thing about 40K in 2018 has been um, new players come in to play the game. I think it's been it's been really nice that on a Thursday night here at Red Caps in Philly, which is my local gaming store, there are a lot of people playing that I don't know or haven't played yet. You know what I mean? Whereas I feel like is you know as <clears throat> and this is, this was a great thing about 2017 for me was that I knew a lot of the people playing on Thursday nights over there. I feel like it's been really nice that there are new faces. A lot of uh, people who had played in past editions who may not have played in 6th and 7th edition are coming back into the game. I think all the new little starter boxes that are getting released and the streamlining of the rules that happened with 8th edition is bringing new players back into the game and keeping new players in the game. So my favorite thing has been, you know, getting games in with folks that I had never played before and just kind of watching the community grow because, you know, as you guys well know, the uh, the social aspect of this entire thing is super important to me. Um, so seeing that part of it uh, grow and flourish, I think, is really important, and I look forward to, to even more of that in 2019. I look forward to, to getting more games in with you know random new folks or random folks returning to the hobby you know, on Thursdays uh, at Red Caps this coming year, for sure. And as a B, if I can throw in a second one, uh, coming in second at Nova in the trios overall was pretty cool too. Um, oh yeah, I so, we did that. yeah. So, <laughs> so, that, so that that was also kind of a that, that's at the top of the 40k resume right now, which I think is kind of cool. Um, but overall, I think my favorite thing in 2018 was uh, was new new players or returning players getting back into the game because of how good Eighth um, Edition is. Um, you know, there are some things, and maybe we'll talk about this episode one of season three. Uh, there are some things that I think that aren't. So great about Eighth uh, Edition right now, and uh, but we'll, we'll save that for another uh, another conversation. Let's let the uh, the holiday spirit carry us through with warm, fuzzy feelings about about Eighth Edition for uh, to wrap up this this year, this episode, and this season of Crew Shaking. Hey Tim,
1: Tim, I got two things I want to add. Everybody, you know, we're, we're recording this on Christmas Eve, which is uh, a Monday. So on Wednesday, if you're interested in the Vostorian Firstborn. G.W. is supposed to put them out for one week that you can order on the website. Um, Matt Leckingberg, if you're listening, he's got a great military army. Woo, <laughs> woo, woo. <laughs> right. So they're they're putting these models out for just one week, and they look really really good. I also want to talk about. I want to take this opportunity to give uh, a a shout out and a special thank you. To those people, and at least the club that clubs that I, I play in, and I'm sure everybody else has them, those pay- people that are I'm going to call the uh, the uh, the 40k sages who make who know the rules, who make themselves available to help people understand. At Red Caps, a special call out to Sasha Alex. He he is great at knowing the rules, but stopping his game and explaining and giving some explanation to players new and seasoned to help them understand rule dynamic. And up at Basement Wargamers, there's uh, uh, Sean and Adam and and, and especially Sam. And Sam at the Basement Wargamers, you know, a lot of times when things get complex, I mean, really complex, and he's not even in the store, we'll call Sam. He's really good at the unique and the, the special rules interactions and helping us understand it they make the experience better for seasoned and new players and they don't have to they could just play their game but they make themselves available they're great examples of great gamers and we need more people like them
2: i think that's the best way to that's the best way to wrap up the year i think
0: you i agree know? yeah i agree right there. thank you both for your contributions in Season 2 here. I look forward to Season 3. I hope we can get in uh, even more episodes in 2019. Uh, We had talked before about some new sections, uh, which we might roll out next year, which should be fun. We'll return. We'll keep some old sections in there that I think people are really enjoying, that we've gotten good feedback on. Um, But thank you both, because doing this podcast is a big part of my hobby enjoyment, and I appreciate you both being a part of that hobby enjoyment on a regular basis.
1: Thanks for including me, man. I appreciate it. Likewise. It's been really fun, guys.
0: So with that, let's wrap up Season 2. Let's wrap up 2018. Happy holidays, everyone. If there is any gift giving, we hope there's some fresh plastic or resin in the near future <laughs> for you. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, that has been Cruze Shaken, Episode 20, Season 2. I've been Tim. I'm DeLaval.
2: And I'm Carlo. Happy Thanks holidays, for listening, buddy. Happy holidays. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Happy
1: Festivus! <laughs>